You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bring it in. It's time for the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard. Joining me today for episode 24 is Kyle Crosby. Kyle and I met back at Nichols. Uh, no surprise there, as most of the guests seem to be going back to the roots of Nichols. But anyway, go Colonels, because if we can promote Nichols, why the fuck not? But uh, Kyle and I met there, and Kyle has been engulfed in movies, you know, from uh, acting to writing to directing to producing. He's kind of the man of all hats when it comes to movies. Uh, he recently moved back from Los Angeles back in 2018, but still has a footprint on the movies, so we're going to talk to him today. A little bit about that, and then we'll dive into some pop culture, as he and I are both fans of movies, wrestling, and more. So without further ado, Kyle, welcome to the podcast, sir. What's going on, Mike? Good to hear from you. Hell yeah, dude. So... Um, let's just go ahead and start this off, um, with just a very basic introduction here. What's, what kind of sparked your interest in getting into the movie industry? Well, I, I was always really interested, um, when I was a kid, you know, just going to movies with my dad. He and I would be going to New Orleans a lot. You know, he'd show me around the city, um, cause I mean, I, I'm originally from, you know, uh, down the Bayou, uh, La Rose and Grand Isle area, but my dad would bring me to the city. I was fascinated with it, and in the afternoon we'd just go see a movie, you know, and I was just loved, you know, Jurassic Park, uh, Terminator, and all those kind of big action movies. And <clears throat> whenever I went to school, that really wasn't pushed, you know, like the whole acting thing or the, the film thing it wasn't really pushed. Um, it was always, you know, oil field or you do something specific like engineering and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of didn't really, you know, get really involved in it until after I graduated school uh, at Nichols. I was working, you know, I wanted to that downtown feel, you know, I wanted to wear the suits and have a briefcase, you know, I have these papers on my desk, all this kind of <laughs> shit, you know, and work downtown and, and I got a job, you know, in, in finance kind of in uh I was working at One Shell Square, um, doing, you know, member service representative type shit, nothing fancy. And I was just looking out my window one day and I was hating it. And I saw they were filming Focus with Will Smith mm-hmm. on one side of the street. And on the opposite side was Hot Tub Time Machine 2. <laughs> and I said, ah, I, I want to be doing that instead. So I contacted a friend of mine, Courtney Kale, who, who does makeup. And she told me everything I had to do, you know, get an acting reel together, do this, do that, network, go be, do background, get, you know, some network and all this kind of stuff. So that day I put in my two weeks notice and uh, I hit the ground running. Dude, that's awesome, man. So went from essentially just working, doing the typical nine to five stuff to, all right, well, fuck this. I hate it. Let's do something new. Um, But, uh, you know, you go back to... You know, New Orleans, you mentioned you used to go to the city, go see movies, stuff like that. Um, Did you ever do, I I know you said it wasn't very heavily influenced, but did you ever do any kind of theater in school at any point, whether it was, you know, uh, grammar school, high school, college? Did you ever get involved in any theater? Yeah, actually, uh, right before I went to high school, Two years actually before I went to high school, I was involved in uh, in like a performing arts camp that was held at Nichols um, for, you know, kids like, I don't know, I think they were as young as 13 years old to, or young as up to 13, something like that. The oldest was 13 or something, pre-high pre school. And um, I was in the performance of uh, The Music Man for the first year, and that was my favorite time. It was, it was so fun just doing that. Uh, and I just had a under on stage and everybody saw and laughed it, it was a good time but then uh the next year wasn't as fun you know it was a little older and i just kind of started getting out of it it was it seemed like more of a kid's thing and um 
then I, I didn't really do much theater. I, I did go to Holy Rosary, and they did a passion play every year. But other than that, you know, I wasn't really exposed to it much. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I was just thinking about this before we started recording, and you know, I, I've never never had the the hair or the you know the itch to ever do a performance or anything like that. But what's I guess interesting for me is I've always been a big wrestling fan, which you and I have talked about previously, and being a heel like being a bad guy if i were to ever do any sort of play or anything like that i'd want the role of being just a villain just someone that the audience hates um you know just kind of sneaky conniving whatever the case may be just because when it comes to when it comes to movies and when it comes to tv or anything like that i'm always fascinated by the villains because there's so much complexity there with their stories why they got involved in these certain things so i guess for you was there a specific role or um you know just kind of as a kid was there a specific role that you wanted to fulfill Oh, absolutely. And exactly how you said that, you know, the villain role. I've always, you know, sympathized with the villain in, in some instances, you know, even when it comes to like Batman and the Joker. You know, everyone loves the Joker and, and his storyline, all this kind of stuff. But um, even as far back, and when you mentioned professional wrestling, my favorite character was Macho Man Randy Savage, especially during the time he was with, you know, NWO and this kind of stuff. So he was, he was a heel and he was just good you know, being at the mic and stuff. And I feel like just having that that villain aura around you, I think it, it, it it's very, um, I don't know, it's enticing. A lot of people like it because they just, they want to be able to have no rules associated with their life. And this, the, of the villain is kind of an escape for that. You know, they just want to be like, damn, you know, I wish I could, you know, just have this, you know, power willpower to just do whatever i want whenever i want but you know there's obviously consequences to that so i I think it's just you know a a lot of people have that association with the villain well we romanticize with the villains and you mentioned the joker which of course they just had the 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 new movie joker released with joaquin phoenix which was incredible um which if you want to talk about romanticizing a villain just watch that movie and that's it to a t but absolutely you know, uh, aside from the Joker, you know, uh, someone actually mentioned this because I posted the other day on Facebook um, a picture of my magic band for Disney World. I was picking them out, and I always love to – I don't like to do just the basic colors. I like to have some flavor and character to mine, and I picked one that had Thanos on it. And, of course, that's one of the big villains of today, and someone had mentioned how they – they, they sort of romanticize with Thanos a little bit, and it's just it, whatever the next villain is, they, there's always just this aura around them, kind of like you said, where people just they sympathize because, or not sympathize, but romanticize because anarchy, no rules. They can kind of do whatever the hell they want, and going back to even wrestling, that's why Stone Cold Steve Austin's so damn popular. Um, you know, we were talking. We were just talking about Nate Welch. who was on one of my previous podcasts. You know, he yeah, my boy Nate. <laughs> like he's doing good, he's doing good stuff. Yeah, he is, and you know, he one of his big influences is Stone Cold, um, and he'll yeah. he'll be the first to tell you that. And it's just because of that no rules. Like, you know what? Fuck you. Like, I don't care about the man. I don't care what people tell me to do. I'm doing me. Yeah, exactly, and that's. A lot of people, you know, they want to be able to just say, you know, F you to the man and just be that, that anti-hero. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, so enticing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, going away from that, you know, let's – so now that we've kind of established the, the, the ground rules, if you will, um, you know, going into high school, you said you sort of fell out of it and then – um, you never did anything with like Nichols players or anything like that, correct? No, I didn't. I was just more focused on you know whatever I was doing at the time, whether it be you know drinking or or um, <laughs> basketball you know, in the hot box. Basketball, yeah, I was. Uh, it was you know a lot involved with basketball and all this kind of stuff. So, um, and then after I graduated, I had that brief you know nine to five, uh, ten year. So, and then I went full into the industry. 
So found myself in Los Angeles, and now I'm back here. So, all right. So let's let's dive into Los Angeles. So. We already set the scene up, or you set the scene up that you were just kind of looking out your window. You had two movies being filmed, Focus, Hot Tub Time Machine 2, both sides of the street, and you just kind of had enough and said, that's it. Um, you you talked to one of your friends who was in makeup, and now what was next? Like, you started getting your acting reel together, so how did you go about doing that? What was step step one, and walk me through that process? Oh man, it was it was arduous, very very arduous. I mean, they all say you know it takes ten years of being in the business to to really start getting your feet you know where you want to be. And I mean, the first like two years of that you know is just grinding, meeting people, um, you know, finding out more about the industry, you know, because you're gonna be green when you start right when you get interested in it you need to know you know what jobs there are on set because you might prefer one over the other you might prefer being a grip or you might prefer you know just rather sit back do you know uh any other type of you know activities there's always a different job to be done on a film set and when you do something like a background role for instance you really can see how a film's made and all the the gears turning together uh, and you can really see you know where you want to go so that's what I, I i did i just started doing background i did maybe there's a handful of films just you know measly measly back you know shitty uh cattle herding you know jobs it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of bullshit you got to go through for not very much pay. Uh, you never go into this business for the pay, by the way. But you you really get experience doing that that whole background stuff. Um, but then I was fortunate. I had a job offer in Los Angeles, and I just accepted it. I, I didn't worry about how I'm going to get there or where I'm going to live, anything like that. And I started the job uh, in three weeks. Well... Um, uh, a cousin of mine who lives in Los Angeles, he uh, needed a roommate at the time, and he was perfect. on the phone with my mom. Yeah, and it was perfect timing. I was there the next week to see if I like it. Loved it. Lived there. Um, and two weeks went. Then the job kind of, it was there for about a week, and it fell out after funding was pulled. And then I was just there, and I was thinking to myself, I mean, I could... I could do stuff here, you know, I could, there's a lot more people, there's a lot more, you know, resources and opportunities for me out here um, to network and, and build, you know, kind of what I want to do. So it just gave me that that kind of kickstart to, to really see what the industry was like, not only from Louisiana perspective, but now, you know, the small fish and the biggest pond there is. Well, that's what's wild is the stress that you pretty much have to put yourself through because, you know, you mentioned on a whim you get a job offer and, dude, if you don't accept that job the second they offer it, by tomorrow that job's probably gone because they have these positions to fill because at the end of the day you know as well as I do, well, that movie's not waiting for some low-level, you know, uh, low-level worker on set to to make that decision so i yeah. mean you gotta be quick on your toes and just accept so you took the leap and it was a shitty gig too it wasn't like anything major it was just this really you know it was they advertised you know as a, a minimal budget so uh, you know i was able to get out there we, we did maybe i was on set for 10 days and we filmed uh, like maybe five scenes with me in it but then a week after funding fell out, there's some big argument. It's, there's always something going on, you know. Hollywood. Everybody <laughs> listening to this is in the industry. You know, there's always some kind of bullshit that goes on. Uh, but uh, and then it was over after that. So it was. It's never, you know, those kind of situations. You just have to get used to it after a while. So you know, once once that got pulled, what was the next step after that? Where where'd you go from there? Uh, there, I just started going to the universities in the area and uh, looking at the auditions for student films because I needed to get on camera, and I didn't have a camera. The easiest way would be to buy your own camera. You write your own stuff, then you you know you could put your reel together. I don't have a camera. I don't have any you know knowledge in editing. I don't have anything. 
you know, uh, so I'm just trying to get footage. Um, and I took some acting classes here and there in Louisiana and in L.A. Um, just to kind of polish you know, my craft because you got to keep working at it daily uh, if you want to, you know, be good at what you do. Uh, I did this. <laughs> uh, I ended up doing this really... Um, uh, I was trying to find the right word to use. Um, green theater job mm-hmm. uh, right when I moved in in Los Angeles uh, where I met uh, some of you know still my closest friends today uh, as a handful of about five six of them that I, I consider my very close friends today still talk to uh, on a weekly basis but uh, it was there that I met two of the guys who really um, vibed with me and that shared the same passion and were in the same position I was in, just from different areas of the country, and uh, we clicked. We, you know, we. It, it didn't take long for us to really, you know, get on the same uh, level as far as you know humor, what we want to do, and things like that. So we all kind of combined our uh, our expertise per se, and, and started like a little production company thing. And that's what I just tagged you in on Facebook, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so what's the what's the name of it again? Channel D Productions. Channel D Productions, right. So um you know, you you connect with these people and you kinda jump into this. Um what's some of the work you guys have done with Channel D Productions so far? Well, honestly, it, it really just started on as a whim because we we were in the same boat ninety five percent I would say 99% of the, the actors everywhere else are, are in, you know, they just don't have, um, the, the footage, you know, they don't, they don't have any real stuff. So you go out on these auditions in Los Angeles and you go in a, a, a room, answer a casting call. And if it's an open casting call, there are hundreds of people who are just, they all look different types. There's different, you know, ethnicities and different facial complexions, different hairstyles, uh, personalities, all this kind of stuff. Those are nightmares to go to open auditions. But then you, when you get like an agent, you get cast. Even mm-hmm. you get, um, you go to a casting director and you're in a waiting room with 10 other people who look exactly like you. So, how are you going to stand out type of thing? So well, that seems like a double-edged sword. Like it's almost damned if you do damned if you don't, because on one hand, well, all right, I have to stand out out of a hundred people. What, what, how can I make this happen? But then you go, once you do have that agent, like you said, you go to these casting calls and it's like, all right, cool. Now 10 people just like me. What, yeah. what, what the fuck do I do? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly it, man. You just have to build relationships with these with these casting directors. But what what really was the issue was it's not happening fast enough with us. Yeah. You know, like we we aren't getting on camera fast enough. So what we decided to do is just write what we know we can do. So you know, I, I know the type of humor that I'm I'm okay at and I can pull off. You know, Rich knows his type of humor. Max, you know, the other time so. We kind of wrote different things to enhance our abilities just to be able to put together a reel to send to agents. Uh, we put it on YouTube because, I mean, that was the, the platform. That Absolutely. We can, you know, and, and just say, you know, hi, my name is Kyle Crosby. I'm looking for representation. Uh, here's uh, a few links on YouTube to the, the work that I've done. It wasn't, you know, to get likes and, and shit like that. It was mostly to, to show what we can do on camera. Uh, if we could pull off certain looks and all this kind of stuff, because it's all about looks, you know, yeah. and if you could pull it off. So started that, and then we kind of talked about, you know, writing, you know, a longer thing instead of just these short little clips. Because a lot of people were doing the whole, you know, YouTube channel sign up, you know, for my channel, like the Logan Pauls and all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, and in contrast to that, we kind of wanted to do just something that we could enter into festivals and to just um, not get, um, it, it, you know, confused with, with those, you know, viners and, and that kind of thing. So I think um, when we started talking about a longer web series and stuff, it was really when 
we started like you know really you know coming together all just writing something that would be a longer production instead of the you know, the shorter stuff well let me ask you this because um and and this i have a kind of a back reasoning for asking this but whenever you're doing these clips to send to people so are, are you acting with other people or is this strictly like solo clips of you acting to send to people to the to the uh, casting directors or yeah. the uh, sorry the agents yeah to, to, to get an agent uh, that's what you, I typically in my real it's myself interacting with others um, just to show that I can interact with others on screen as well as facial features okay uh, things and and you know anybody can do a monologue right it's, it's uh, you, you want to do something that shows that you can interact. Uh, with people that are that, um, you know, you can do, pull up different expressions. Well, the reason, and the reason I guess I asked that is, uh, so with my background being in news and media, we were taught obviously differently because in news and media, one of the things that I was told by several teachers and things like that is don't ever send a demo tape with anyone else in it because if they see someone else next to you and they like them better, you're shooting yourself in the foot essentially. So that's kind of why I was curious about that just because in news and TV, it's a little bit different. You know, they don't want as much interacting with other people as they do. Okay, here's what you can do. Go do it. Right. Now, I'm not talking about the whole reel, but like on my demo reel, for instance, there's one scene with someone else in it okay and and it's just to show that i can that you know and the majority of it is is, is me talking you know and so it is you know showing that I, we can interact with someone but the majority of it definitely needs to be just you and make sure that the person that's in it isn't you know not only better than you or, or anything like that but just like you know, not as the not the main focal point right now let me ask well, you it's so hard to do it's hard to do especially whenever you're um you're waiting to to get cast in that role to make like you, you're sitting down like oh i can't wait to get cast in a role that i can't i'm a shine in do it yourself man or, yeah. or woman just do it do it you know uh, write it yourself and get a camera and act it out if, if you if you know you you can do that uh and and show what you can highlight as a character now you were talking about uh the the people that you started the uh, uh channel d productions with and you all kind of have your own, not to say niche, but strengths, I'll say. Um, just because it's more, I guess, positive term versus niche where it's kind of pigeonholing you. But, you know, you talked about y'all kind of built these characters for yourself. So what's kind of your your shtick, if you will? Like, what was the, what was the main focus for you, I guess, as uh, your character that you wanted to portray on screen to highlight your the, the best of what you have to offer? <laughs> Well, Mike, you know me. I'm uh, I'm loud. Um, I I tend to um, steamroll sometimes. I'm you know, and I, <laughs> I try, to, which which you know I work on. But that you know in itself can come into play in, in different comedy roles. And uh, so essentially, characters. the frat boy that you are. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the, the frat boy that everyone thinks I am. How about that? So fair, fair enough. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just play into that character because um, people are going to see you that way. Then I mean, it's, you're going to be believable on screen no matter what you do. Um, you know, you could do a cartwheel and every, you look like a frat guy. Everybody's going to be like, "Oh, okay, that's how a frat guy would do that." Or <laughs> if, you, if, if you if you look like a nun and you do a cartwheel, everybody would be like, oh, "Okay, that's what a nun would look like if she would do a cartwheel." <laughs> you know, so. Um, I just would play into that type of stuff and, you know, I'd be stupid every now and then, you know, like, it, um, like the, the, the parking lot attendant with a lisp, you know, just to show that you to have different, um, different characters and different characteristics for each person. Well, what's, um, I guess to, to kind of play off of your, your strength, so to speak, what, what's a character in a movie or an actor that you can think of off the top of your head that kind of embodies, um, that, that sort of character that you portrayed as the, the quote unquote frat boy? Um, you know, like Frank the Tank, Will Ferrell, <laughs> um, that type of stuff, or, you know, Vince Vaughn in the majority of his movies. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, dude. Now that... Oh, my God. Now that you said Vince Vaughn, the ice is broken because I can envision that just perfectly. And for the record, Vince Vaughn's one of my favorite actors out there. And you talk about the steamrolling of Vince Vaughn. I, I recently put uh, put together a list. It was like 37 favorite movie monologues. Yeah. And I literally just rattled off a bunch of monologues. That's why I got to 37. That's pretty much just where my list stopped. Um, but one of them was Vince Vaughn and Wedding Crashers when he's talking about the perils of dating. Because oh, yeah. for three minutes straight, he's explaining to his secretary of why he hates dating. And it's one of the best Vince Vaughn scenes of all time, period. But I, uh, no, now that you say that, like I said, dude, 110% I can see that. So been, yeah. uh, Everybody t- tells me that I look like Seth Rogen. Too. And, <laughs> uh, I don't know whether that'd be a, I take it as a compliment or not. I think I will, but it, it's I think it's, it's very comical because I mean he's also a lot of the roles I see him doing. I can I feel like it's, I can do it too. <laughs> so essentially, so we have the frat boy and the pothead roles down pat. Pretty much down packed. Right <laughs> so, um. You know, as far as movies go, you know, let's let's dive into a little bit more of this. Um, and before we move on, you know, check out their Facebook page, Channel D Productions, um, and you know, follow him, Kyle Crosby. Uh, but what's some of the what I what's some of the biggest movies that you would say influenced you know your life? Which movies can you always go back to and just instantly just feel captured by them all right so everyone always laughs at the answer to like my favorite movie of all time and 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 that it's the original godzilla versus king kong in 1953 i believe (laughs) and it's i know it's it's crazy but um so my, my grandpa used to record all the godzilla movies for me um during the weekends on PBS in the early 90s. Okay. And so I, I would always watch it with him every day growing up. So after he passed away, I had all these VHS tapes in the early 2000s to keep watching them throughout the ways before, you know, Netflix and all this kind of yeah. stuff. So I would just, you know, love other guys. So when I was a kid, I begged my mom to make a Godzilla costume. I just wanted to be Godzilla. Dude, that's, that's awesome. all I wanted to do. So we have pictures and stuff like that of me in the Godzilla costume. And she told me that she, she made it. And it, it's legit, Mike. Like it was a legit costume, you know, in the nineties. And she, she made it and she just wanted me to try it on to make sure it was, you know, big enough for me. So I put it on. She said she couldn't get me to take it off. I loved it so much. I fell asleep in it. She had to wait till I fell asleep and all this kind of stuff. So I wanted to be Godzilla. When I had the suit on, I was would make the noises and stuff. That was really, and in fact, I could really go on the record and say that was the first time I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be the guy in the Godzilla costume. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> well, dude, it's uh, it's yeah. crazy how you think about the sentimental value of certain things and how it kind of molds you. Like one of the things I was thinking about. So I was telling you. Uh, before we started recording, we were just kind of catching up, shooting the shit. And one of the one of the things that I'm currently looking into is uh, relocating to Atlanta. And yeah. I think about this all the time. Um, you know, one of the, one of the cool things uh, you know about me right now is I live in my grandparents' old house. They grew up two blocks from me. It, it, they were basically like a second set of parents to me. I was very fortunate to basically have. F- Four very strong adult figures raise me. Um, And my grandpa, anytime I think about the Atlanta Braves, it just brings me back to him because I'd come home from school, go to my house. He's sitting on the couch. There was probably a Braves game on. If I came here when I was a kid, there was was a Braves game on. Chipper Jones was his guy. Like that was his, his favorite athlete. Um, So when Chipper Jones was on, Good old Ron was glued to the television set. So I was kind of thinking about that. I'm like, dude, like, you know, move to Atlanta. 
And one of the things I'm looking forward to is the amount of sports teams they have from, uh, you know, United to the Braves. There's so many sports teams there. And uh, that's what I was just kind of thinking about. I'm like, well, fuck, dude. Like, when I take my two kids to a baseball game, it's going to be a Braves game. So there's just going to be that sentimental emotional value there that the first time I step foot now granted you know Braves have obviously relocated and changed stadiums and built a new one but nonetheless it's still the Atlanta Braves it still brings me back to my childhood so I think that's a really cool touch a really cool story about you um you know hanging on to those VHS tapes that your your grandfather used to record for you because dude that's the stuff that just kind of molds you and you never forget Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and whenever the DVD came of age, uh, I bought a um, uh, for my mom. I bought her a Mother's Day gift of a VHS converter to DVD, so she could put all the old you know home videos and stuff yeah. on DVD. What I used it to put all the old Godzilla VHS tapes on these DVD players, and I, I drew like little cover art for them, and I would put them, and I, I maybe watched them once or twice after that, but they're just still, you know, just ducked away somewhere, but that was really the first movie that I was just kind of in awe, because these monsters were fighting on the screen, and, you know, these, all kind of crazy shit was going on, you know, um, but then, you know, I started, you know, really loving, you know, Jurassic Park and all this kind of stuff. With, I was really into dinosaurs, obviously. Well, well dude, that was going to be my next question because you had mentioned Jurassic Park in the very beginning of the podcast. So so it seems like a lot of these, like, monster movies or animal movies, if you will, where they're just kind of attacking everyone and killing people you're into. Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely my guilty pleasure. Anybody ask me, you know, what's your, what's your guilty pleasure? I love monster movies and i love just a a creature you know walking around and causing all kind of mayhem and destruction and you know very smart person you know needs to stop it before it destroys you know something Uh, and i like to to really uh, i wrote one monster uh, monster feature and it it really wasn't was very fun to write i'm not sure why nobody likes to to do that as much anymore i guess because it looks cheap but i don't know i love it I, I love the whole the whole even if the cheesy ones like bring put on the cheese man i love it <laughs> well in the words of alan grant from jurassic park you and i have that in common because um, you know that that was always a big that that's always been a big guilty pleasure of mine i've always loved movies where animals just fucking wreak havoc um you know, from Jurassic Park, which even the Jurassic World movies, I mean, I love the the reboot. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of hate the reboot scene that's happening right now in Hollywood, but at the end of the day, dude, we have decades of movies. Like, original ideas just aren't going to come like they used to. So, um, right now you're seeing a resurgence of a lot of reboots, and, you know, for me, I'm not a huge critic, so... A lot of them I like, but Jurassic World, I like those. I love the Jurassic Parks. Um, you know, I never I never really got big into Godzilla, but, uh, you know, Jaws was always a favorite of mine growing up, like from a very early age. Um, my mom was, she is a big Stephen King fan, and of course Jaws is one of his books. Um, but, you know, that, the, the original Jaws, like Jaws 2, Solid Jaws three kind of meh, and then Jaws the Revenge just I can do without it. But uh, the original Jaws, dude. <laughs> we won't I'm, talk about that one. <laughs> what, what's that? <laughs> we won't talk about that last one. <laughs> but you know, Jaws is Jaws was one of the earliest movies I remember constantly watching. Like if it was on, I was glued to the TV for it. Um, Absolutely. And then Lake Placid, Anaconda, all these movies. Yeah. Um, but let me Jaws, ask you, I mean, revolutionized horror, and, and it and it just continued to 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 prosper. You know, it was amazing for sure. And dude, you know, you go back and watch Jaws. Like everyone still, still, you say Jaws, people know what the hell you're talking about. So yeah, it's certainly iconic. Um, and dude, one of the best lines. One of so one of my favorite things about movies is. I love hearing stories about what's improvised during shooting and what's kept during shooting. And one of the things that was improvised in Jaws is arguably 
one of the most iconic lines lines in movie history, and that's when um, Chief Brody backs his way into into the uh, the uh, captain's you know part of the boat, and he tells Quint, "I think you're going to need a bigger boat." Yeah, that that was completely improvised, and it's I love that. Yeah, that's- like that's that is legitimately the most iconic scene of that movie. So, um, and but uh, I, I don't know if you saw this one, um, but I freaking loved it. Did you happen to see Crawl? I was gonna watch it last night, and I ended up watching something else and passing out. Okay, man, I almost watched. It. <laughs> So when I saw the previews for that, so if you're not familiar with Crawl, it came out twenty, was it 2019 or 2018? I th- 18. No, I think it was two years ago. Okay, so it was there was there was a big hurricane in Florida. A girl is trying to go back to her house to get her dad, and come to find out, he lives near an alligator-infested water, so they're trapped in the fucking house. Um, and dude, honestly. One of the best, uh, I, I guess we'll call it monster movie, so to speak, animal monster movie thrillers that I think has come out within the last decade or so. Um, it didn't get high reviews because, like you said, those movies just don't hit home for people anymore. But, dude, Crawl, if you're into it, check it out. and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it just because I, I loved it. I'm going to watch it tonight and I'm going to text you. Perfect. <laughs> I was, I'm was. i so pissed I didn't watch it last night now, but I, I, I had it on the screen and I was just looking at it and I said, should I? Uh, I'm, I'm going to fall asleep. Let me watch something else. Yeah, so... Um, that Settled was... on the office for the 400th time. <laughs> Dude, oh, holy shit. So I got to tell you this one. That, something that I discovered about The Office, um, yeah. which I found interesting. So going back to kind of the the most famous improv or just kind of small touches on tv shows and movies so if you've seen the office 400 times of course you remember the episode where dwight's working on the exercise ball correct oh yeah man yeah that show's full of those you know uh unscripted moments beautiful dude so go back and watch and you may know this already but i was watching a youtube video and it was like 10 things that weren't supposed to happen that did in the office well, when Jim <laughs> when Jim pops the ball, the ball was supposed to deflate slowly as Dwight just sort of slowly creeped underneath the desk. The ball ended up popping. If you go back and watch it, you can see Jim run off the screen covering his face because he's dying laughing, and that was not supposed to happen. So when every time I see that now, dude, I just die. Oh, yeah, definitely. And they, uh the scene when they had two Santa Claus when Phyllis was dressed as Santa Claus Michael was trying to get everybody to, to believe him yeah uh, and he lets Kevin sit on his lap well you can see um, Mindy Kaling who plays Kelly and um, and Ryan in the background break character they start, <laughs> start laughing when Kevin just sits on him <laughs> Dude, that's one of my like you know speaking of that one of my favorite I think blooper reels ever is Will Ferrell and Step Brothers. So, dude, him and John C. Riley when they get together, like, I, you know, we were talking about, you know, some of the smaller roles on movie sets. I couldn't handle some of those roles if I ever got casted on a bigger movie like that with somebody like Will Ferrell because, dude, I'd be laughing the whole fucking time. Like, I would not be able to keep it together. Right, sure. But... What's uh? I, what, what, so, how long? So you moved back in 2018. How long did you live in Hollywood? I lived in uh, in Los Angeles for three years, uh, from 2015 to 2018. Okay. What's uh? You know, one of the going back to referencing Nate here. You know, he had some stories about celebrities. So, what's some of the big celebrity stories? I guess you have from living there. Anything that stands out? Oh, um, yeah. I mean. There's a lot of stuff that'll just really stand out because I mean I I worked with them almost you know monthly basis it would just be like another day on set yeah uh, I actually worked with more celebrities here in New Orleans than uh, than when I was out there um, just a happenstance I guess they just had more things going on here but 
the one of the funniest stories and one of the stories that sticks out with me and i tell this story as often as i can to whoever's going to listen to it because it, it it i don't know it just gets to me um but i i did uh the Horror Nights in uh, Universal Studios, mm-hmm. and I was, I was cast as Jason in, in one of the mazes, and they required you to wear this big, you know, suit and and the mask and all this kind of shit. And it's narrow hallways that the guests walk through, and you hit a trigger, and it's the light starts, the strobe light starts flashing, and it's pitch black, and I, I come out of a curtain with a machete, and I come and I swing it at you, and you, you get scared, and you. You walk away, um, and there's, you know, Rob Zombie music at full blast, and, and it's disorienting. Well, I'm looking through the curtain, and, and it, they tell you before the, the show uh, if there's any celebrities that are coming through and, and to show them attention, you know, to, to scare them, you know, because that's why they're there. Um, it was really cool. LeBron James came through one time, and, and it, that is a towering towering individual oh dude he's massive i mean i've never I'm, seen him in person but i can only imagine i mean i'm six three and i was just looking up at this guy like i don't know he seems taller than six eight but anyway um they told us that Vern troyer uh you know rest in peace he, oh he yeah was and uh so you know i'm waiting in the back and i, I see you know a light come through and you don't know it's him he just went with the, the normal people he didn't want a, any special treatment uh, and I see somebody coming, so I, I swing the curtain open. I hit the trigger, and I don't see anybody. And I turn and look to my down to my left, and it's him and his scooter. <laughs> all I hear, all I hear over the loud Rob Zombie music, Marilyn Manson screaming music, is his fucking high pitched scream going. <laughs> and he just hauls ass in the scooter. Bruh, I have to I fall back into the curtain I'm dying laughing because I mean when, and if anybody's worked on, on the horror nights they they know what I'm talking about how it's so funny to see the faces of the people that you scare it's funny to scare people you know um, but this was unlike anything I've never seen one of those little scooters pick up momentum like that before he whisk around that corner jesus christ well dude and it's funny because all i can when you said that scream that he has all i can picture is him and austin powers as mini me <laughs> i think when he got deployed after um mike myers shits him out into space just that <laughs> that's all i could have envision of him just doing that oh that's that's fucking gold but, um, well, as far as the horror genre goes, so uh, aside from some of the monster movies, stuff like that, so is was horror kind of a big thing for you outside of Godzilla, like in terms of slasher flicks, stuff like that? Not necessarily slasher, but my grandmother exposed me to a lot of horror movies early on. She, she didn't like to watch them by herself, I guess, so she wanted me, young four, <laughs> five, six-year-old me to keep her companion while this woman's head spins around 70 times and spits out, you know, blood and, and vomit in The Exorcist. Right. You know, it's a, it leaves a real impression when you're six. Right. Um, pet Cemetery. Well, dude, Exorcist was one movie I couldn't, like, I, I watched it as a kid, but it was one that terrified the shit out of me as a kid, because I'm like, of course. I don't want to get fucking possessed by fucking uh, uh, Pazuzu, like, fuck that. Oh, yeah, of course not, it scares, you, it scares some people as adults, too, Yeah. but, like, Pet Cemetery was the penultimate horror movie for me as okay. a kid, I, I just could not get the image of you know gage walking down the hallway and then the, when the when in church you know the cat the original pet cemetery the new one isn't i don't i don't care for it much yeah um but it it really was oh, and really all these horror films that i watched as a kid uh and now as an adult it helps you know the project that i'm working on right now with you know writing horror and just different styles of horror and different you know genres in in the horror subgenres in the horror genre itself what's uh i mean obviously if you don't want to say anything because it's still in production i mean can you oh, tell no, so tell us a little bit about this uh project you're working on no um 
So it's called Louisiana Dread. Um, and basically, for the past few years that I've been back, I've, I've really just devoted my, you know, my time, um, my spare time, I should say, into um, promoting the Louisiana history, culture, and folklore type stuff, um, really getting the word out of how unique we are down here and sure. uh, the importance, you know, and, and how uh, important we are, you know, to the area. And the tribulations we as Cajun and Creole people faced just throughout time. But um, it really, it, it, seeing things like, you know, Twilight Zone and Black Mirror inspired me to do this project in terms of, you know, style. So it's, it's a horror anthology series just based off of Louisiana life and history and folklore and, and uh, unique cultures. Um, it's uh, two seasons. Uh, each season has five episodes. Each episode's roughly about 35 minutes to an hour long, and each episode is its own standalone, but it, each of them delve in some form of, um, you know, Louisiana lifestyle. Dude, fuck yeah, man. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, obviously... Uh, and the, the, the Instagram I started up, uh, louisiana.dread, that is kind of dedicated to posting something that have happened in Louisiana or influential figures in Louisiana history uh, or, you know, just things that people don't know. Mostly, you know, ghost stories, horror stories. Um, it, it, it basically is geared around history and horror combined. What's, uh, I guess, out of the series, you know, what's one of your favorite favorite stories, so to speak? You know, what's one of your favorite folklores or legends? Oh, I th- I think uh, I speak for a lot of people in this area when I say the Rugaru Absolutely. is uh, up there. And um, the story, uh, one of the episodes, the pilot episode of, of the series, the Rugaru, and it's, I think it, it'll really help other people who aren't in the area understand what it really is. And it's not just, you know, a werewolf that everyone thinks or, you know, it's, it's not just like a normal monster that everyone would you know, just assume right off the bat. And um, it's just interesting. And it'll be fun to see, you know, once we get funding for that episode, uh, what we can put on the screen that really represents what the, what the Rugaru looks like, you know, because the thing in the zoo ain't cutting it. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, man. So how long have you been working on that? Um, it's been underground for about two years now. I've been just, you know, silent about it and just writing, getting things fine-tuned, um, planning the social media strategy or and the, the actual the marketing strategy to to pitch to investors whenever they it, it, they do arrive, uh, whenever you know it comes time for that. Uh, getting the budgets for the different episodes and working on promo videos, all that, just all underground for a while. And I just recently came out with it and all, and, you know, getting all the copyrights, all the legal work took a while. Um, but, you know, that was the most important thing. So got all the, the legal work done, copyrights, all of a sudden, and then I could start telling people about it and getting the hype up Absolutely. Um, to get it out. Because uh, it, it really is, you know, a passion project that I think would not only benefit um, the horror community, because I mean, these episodes all have all unique twists um, that you're not really expecting. But as well as the history community, because all of these episodes have Louisiana history, historical elements to it, and just some form of, of culture and history. And and on the Instagram page, uh, I kind of give a little info about each of the stories um, and just you know different things that occur throughout the history. Dude, awesome, man. So, um, what's, uh, I guess in comparison, you know, would you say this is kind of a similar, I guess, follow to something like American Horror Story? Not really, because each season of American Horror Story follows one specific thing. One specific thing. Whereas this, each season, it's, it's more of a black mirror type, um, to where... Uh, and then uh, with with um, American Horror Story, it's a lot of um, not not really. I don't want to say sci-fi, but it's um, 
I'm trying to find the words for it. it it's uh, it's not as historically accurate. I'll say yeah. a lot of these and a lot of the stories that I've written, um, I kind of wanted to to branch into a, a different subgenre of subgenre of historical horror and to enhance some s- stories in the history to make it horrific uh, and to ha- but mainly to have that historical foundation so with these different tales and these because uh, I mean the, the stories of uh, in uh, in Creole culture uh, and then their stories in Cajun culture their stories in uh, in European culture was here in French and Spanish and you have your pirates Jean Lafitte and in his um, his privateers lieutenants all kind of stuff you have the grunge monster that's in the uh, New Orleans East all different little things that I've rarely heard about you know before really going deep into it yeah well dude i'll tell you right now when it comes to i mean obviously rougarou that's one of the most famous um you know i guess uh horror genre creatures in louisiana uh but when it comes to diving deep like i can tell you right now if i watch this i'll be plenty educated just because i i don't know a whole hell of a lot so aside from the rougarou what's uh, you know, what's another creature that you've in doing this production or writing this? What's what's one creature that you've kind of clinged on to aside from that one that you've really grown to to like? I guess. Um, probably the Grunch, the Grunch monster, and and I honestly, I didn't, I never heard about it until I started uh, when I fully, you know, invested time into this project. Um, but uh, the the story goes uh, in the 1920s, or a little bit before that. You know, when when traveling circus was the real, you know, really popular. Um, you know, people would come from all over the state to come to New Orleans. When like Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey would come in, yeah. and they would have all these different sideshows and stuff, uh, and, and these animals and, and, and shit like that. But they'd also have these for lack of a better term, they would call them freaks, the sideshow freaks, but it was, you know, people with abnormalities, Mm -hmm. uh, birth defects, um, things like that. Uh, And you'd have, you know, the man with the the hairy face, he has hair all over his body, or the the two-headed woman, uh, the the bearded lady, you know, things like that. Um, And as popularity for these circus uh, performances decreased, the need for these types of, of shows obviously decreased as well, leaving these uh, these people with abnormalities out of a job, and they're in the city of New Orleans. And I mean, let's face it, uh, you know, people aren't kind to other people, and they would, you know, harass them and torment them, and you know, bully them, and, and all this kind of stuff, assault them. So they decided, to, as a group, to stick together and to leave the city, and they moved to this place it's on the Grunch Road in, in New Orleans East. Um, but it's, it's further down. It wasn't called the Grunch Road then, obviously, but it was, it was all wooded at the time. So they, they made up camp in there. But people still went into the woods out of their way to go and fuck with these people, like throwing rocks at them and shit, yeah. and, and they're just trying to live their life. Well, uh, the, 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 the people with the abnormalities decided to seek the help from the devil and they made a deal with him that in exchange for their souls they'll be protected um for as long as they can just you know they'll live forever unless other means do so but they'll be protected by this monster called the grunch hmm. and it basically lives on the grunch road and it kills whoever goes into the woods to to harass these freaks for lack of a better term. Um, but they've described it as um, reptilian in feature, but tall, gaunt, mm-hmm. and um, and it's just fucking, I don't know, it just creeps me out whenever I'm trying to, because I'm trying to, um, to visualize it and to, so I could put it on camera and to describe what it looks like and just the descriptions I've been reading online are, are pretty, pretty gnarly. Sweet. Um, but I had no idea it existed, Mike. Like, you know, we've been living here our whole lives, and 
we're just finding new stuff out every day. Well, dude, that's what's interesting about New Orleans, man. There's so many stories. There's so many folklore. So let me ask you this, just because it got brought up. Um, you know, we were scheduling a date for this, and we had talked about Thursday. You said you were doing a tour in New Orleans. Um, what was that? Um, so I work at a plantation oh, okay. along the river, and uh, sometimes whenever I give tours there, they like me a lot, and they want me to give them a, a private tour in the city. So I'll go and I'll, you know, I'll give them a tour. I'll tell them, you know, what, whatever they're interested in hearing, whether it be about, you know, the ghosts or, you know, slavery or just uh, Spanish rule or, you know, um, vampires, anything. Okay, they, you know, perfect. Um, so the reason I asked that in – I, I, so Melissa, my wife and I, um, so she and I are very big into Vampire Diaries. That's that's one of the shows she and I oh, yeah. really really enjoyed watching together. Um, and one of the things we did because we were very into vampires. In fact, uh, she and I one Halloween um, before we had kids went out one night for Halloween and we actually dressed as uh, Damon and Elena from Vampire Diaries. So we did like the little, she did like the eye shadow where how they get those veins on their eyes before they're about to basically Mm. rip into somebody. So we did that whole thing. Um, It it was cool. One of my favorite costumes, honestly, she did a great job with it. But we, uh, so we were big into Vampire Diaries and, she had found that they were doing vampire tour vampire tours in New Orleans. So I was like, yeah, dude, like let let's do it. Why the hell not? And that was pretty cool cuz uh took you through the city about or around some of the buildings where these stories happened and so vivid. The guy that gave the tour, he was fantastic. Um so as we're passing each of these buildings, um one of course being Jean Lafitte's uh uh Jean Lafitte bar. Uh, the old blacksmith shop, which yeah. is the oldest standing bar in New Orleans, I believe. Uh, in the United States. Or United States, sorry. So, um, you know, we, we went on this tour, and he's just kind of explaining all these different folklores and stories and stuff like that. And, dude, it's super interesting. That That is one of the cool parts about New Orleans is there's a very, very um, mysterious aura to it, I guess, if you will. And... What's ironic about this, so the night we went on this tour, uh, the chick who plays... Now, let me ask you, have you have you watched Vampire Diaries or the originals? Uh, no, I've, I've seen like an episode or two okay. of the originals. So, Haley, who played uh, one of the werewolves, she was one of the main werewolves in it. She actually got married in New Orleans, the actress who played her. And we're walking back to the car, and we see Paul Wesley, who plays Stefan Salvatore, who is basically main character. Um, we see, dude. So <laughs> yeah, like we see him. He's with uh, the the girl who plays Bonnie, um, and a couple of others that we recognized, and. Like, she and I just kind of look, and I've told this story on the podcast before. When I see celebrities, like, I kind of internally freak out, but I don't externally freak out because I also don't want to just cause a scene. And Melissa just kind of looks at me, and I look at her, and we were just both, like, instantly, holy shit, that was Paul Wesley. Like, and she and I just kind of look, do we run back and chase him? And before we could even think and, like, even process what was happening he's already well down the street and i'm like yeah if we run now we look like fucking idiots so but but it was cool man like we're finishing up this tour and all of a sudden here comes paul wesley and i'm like well if this is the most ironic thing i've ever seen in my life i mean geez what are the odds right right so it was cool but yeah man that's awesome i um so you said you've been working on the uh this series for two years, correct? Yeah, I'm just so, uh, writing it and everything. And what's the name of it again? Louisiana Dread. Louisiana Dread. So for those of you listening, check that out. Um, wrapping up here, but Kyle, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? Get out and vote. Make sure you vote. <laughs> There's That's the political the plug. Thing. The political plug. I like Whoever it. you want to vote for, vote. 
Hell yeah, man. I, I could dig it. So, um, but no, man, I really appreciate you coming on and, um, Dude, best of luck. Again, I want to plug it again because it sounds fantastic. Louisiana Dread. And check out the Instagram and Facebook page, Channel D Productions. Um, and I'll be sure to post those in the link to this podcast. Uh, so for those of you, thank you for tuning in. And as always, honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at hotardhuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.